0: Those who gave. Talking about those who gave this morning. John Bassaloni. American Gunnery Sergeant Manila John Basaloni was the only Marine to receive both the Medal of Honor and the Navy Cross during World War II. At the Battle of Guadalcanal, Sergeant Basaloni successfully defended a narrow pass with his gun team, who were basically a human force field of bullets against the Japanese. After he was offered a safer base training position after the battle, he turned it down in favor of going back into action at Iwo Jima, where he gave his life on the battlefield. Congressional Medal of Honor recipient, First Lieutenant John Robert Fox was directing artillery fire in the Italian town of Somocolonia to stall a German advance. While Fox was directing fire, a large German force moved on in his position. Realizing that this force was a huge threat to his men, Fox called a final artillery strike on himself. When his men eventually retook the position... Fox's body was found next to approximately 100 dead German troops and a medal was placed neatly on his chest. Lieutenants George Fox, Alexander Good, John Washington, and Clark Poling were all four chaplains of varying faiths stationed aboard troop transport ship, the Dorchester. When the ship was struck by a submarine's torpedo, The chaplains quickly rallied together and began handing out life jackets and mobilizing the survivors to get off the ship. When they ran out of life jackets, they selflessly gave away their own. When the ship went down, the four men, as it has been told, linked arms and began singing hymns. It's hard to say how many lives the men actually saved that day. There are literally tens of thousands, if not more, stories like this, most of which we will never know. And it's not because we're not interested or because we can't look at the right book or website, but because they're probably never been told of the way men and women have given their lives in service to our country in its history. Memorial Day weekend, there are no words to describe these types of stories. There are no words to express thanks. There are no things you can say from a pulpit or behind anywhere else to truly appreciate and and to communicate how appreciative we are for men and women who have given their lives and given sacrifices. And, And that's what Memorial Day is all about. It's about those who have given the ultimate sacrifice in the name of freedom for our country. And today we are a thankful people because of those who gave, because of those who served. But today, I would like for us to consider those who gave in something bigger than just our country. You know, tomorrow is Memorial Day. It's a day set up, and I I can't remember the history of it, forgive me, to honor those who have given. But as Christians, as the church... We have the privilege of living out what has been given for us every single day, and not just in the context of our country. And church, church, if you don't hear anything else, please dial in with me for the next 14 seconds and hear me when I say this. I am not downplaying nor disqualifying or ignoring what our men and women who have given the ultimate sacrifice have done for our country today. I'm not, I'm not neglecting that. I'm as true a patriot as there is in terms of somebody who has never served. And I'm so thankful for what we as a country have in terms of our military and the mindset behind it. But today, I want us to look bigger. That as we look at Memorial Day, we remember those who gave. I want us to look bigger in what we study and what we celebrate today. While we will honor what Memorial Day stands for this weekend we will do it through the context and lens of Scripture and let God be glorified and celebrated in how we remember those who gave. But as we think about Memorial Day, I want us to look closely at what God has given for us, what God has given in sacrifice for you and I, for our freedom. And I'm not talking about the country in we live. I'm talking about freedom from sin and death. I don't want us to look past that, because when we stop and in Memorial Day, remember those who gave, starting with the Father and God through Jesus Christ. We remember the lordship that Christ has in our lives. Lordship. You now, that's a tricky term, lordship. It's a tricky terminology in terms of our church lives and how we live obediently, because lordship is a, basically a reflection of a CO, a commanding officer. You know, and again, I've never served in the military, but I know we have many people in this room who have. And if we march them up here, no pun intended about the marching, I just realized that got kind of, I wasn't trying to make a joke. But if we were to bring them up here, each one of them would have quite unique stories about their COs. Am I correct, former veterans? No? Thank you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I got a few stories. Because when the CO comes in and says something, it's just an option, right? It's just something to consider in light of what... You, Gonzo, why are you shaking your head? No. <laughs> it ain't an option. The CEO walks in and you move. This is what lordship looks like. That when we submit ourselves to something, an authority over us, then we give up everything in lordship to it. So just like a CEO has lordship over those in which he is training or commanding, then we as Christians look to the lordship of Christ. I'm not going to call Christ, I'm not going to talk about the Father in the context that God is our CEO. No, God is God. He is our heavenly Father. And any term lesser than that that reflects, manship qualities cheapens who his identity is. So this morning I'm relating the fact that his lordship in our lives looks like A CEO, do we submit everything to the authority of God? Do we lay it down because God is our God? Is he truly Lord of our lives? And when we talk about salvation, we talk about do you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior? We begin with Lord because he is Lord of all. And we enter into that lordship relationship through him being our Savior. So this morning, we're looking at this idea of lordship of what god has called us to be and we're going to be looking in john chapter 6 so i invite you to turn there if you haven't already turn to john chapter 6 and let's just kind of walk through this this passage of what this amazing story that took place in the life of christ john chapter 6 beginning in verse 1 check this out sometime after this jesus crossed to the far shore of the sea of galilee that's the sea of tiberias And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person just to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, "Well, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down there was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down about 5000 men were there jesus then took the loaves gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted he did the same with the fish when they had all when they had all had enough to eat he said to his disciples gather the pieces that are left over let nothing be wasted So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. As we look at this passage, as we talk about this idea of those who gave, I want to pull kind of three things out. I know it's hard to believe a Baptist preacher wants to pull three truths out of it, but we're going to start there uh, as we look at this text and see when we talk about those who gave, what does that mean? And we're going to look at what it means in this text, but ultimately I want us to be thinking, I want us to be considering and asking or trying to answer the question, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? So let's dive in here. The first thing I want us to notice is that I want us to see what God can do with what we give. I want us to see what God can do with what we give. If you look at this text, in verse 7, Philip answered him, Jesus, I mean, you see this big crowd of people coming. And I can imagine, I mean, they're they're on this, 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 this mountainside and they see a great crowd of people were coming. I can just imagine like just the masses. Some of y'all have been at Point Mallard this weekend celebrating the Jubilee and everything. There's a massive group of people that are there. Some of y'all are going tonight for the fireworks or whatnot. There's a massive group of people there. Can you imagine if we just had all those people behind this barrier and then they just opened the barrier and all those people started walking up? That's the vision I see. That's the visualization I see when Jesus said a great crowd of people began approaching him. And that's when Jesus was like, hey boys, where are we going? where How are we going to feed all these people? What do y'all think? I, and I can imagine he smiled. I, by the way, when you think about Jesus, remember that he smiled, right? We think of like this, uh, Jesus smiled a lot because his joy was in the Lord. So he said, all right, boys, where are we going to get some food to feed these guys? Philip, you're up. <laughs> Pop quiz. Oh, I didn't study. Oh, it would take more than a half a year's wage just to give everybody a bite. That's the best I got. And I don't have half a year's wage, Jesus. I mean, imagine the amount of people that come walking up towards him. And in verse 8, it says another of his disciples, Andrew, trying to bail his brother out. Not literally his brother. He's Simon Peter's brother. But like Philip, trying to help Peter, Philip out. He's like, hey, here, here's a boy. He's got five barley loaves and two fish. And I bet Philip was like, see, right there. We're off to a good start. And I yanked the cord back. We're off to a good start. Jesus, here we go. And I can imagine the other disciples were like, seriously, man? We got, we, got, we got five loaves and two fish. That's it? But I want us to look what God can do with what we give. I'd love to know what this little boy was thinking. It says boy. It's a very descriptive term. And as Julie and I were talking about this text this week, Julie brought up a good point. She said, you know, in, in this culture, whether we're Jew or Gentile, you're a boy if you're under the age of 12. Because by the age of 12, you were an adult. See, students, they didn't have teenage land back then. You went from childhood to adulthood, right? So if you were basically 12 or older, you were no longer a child. So when it says that this was a boy, this is a young dude. He might have been 6, 7, 8 years old. He might have been 11. You know, he might have been on the cusp. But he had some food. And nobody also, we're not going to get into the theological uh Blah blahs of five loaves and two fish. Some people say it was a five full loaves that maybe he had a basket that he had gone to the basically the grocery store and was bringing the goodies home for the family for the week or the two weeks. Some people say that the five loaves were just like little breaking off of a loaf, like, like pinches of bread that would look like rolls or something like that. We're not going to get into what it is, what it isn't. I just want to know what is this little boy thinking? Because he is somewhere nearby and probably knew that jesus was doing his thing so he shows up too the next thing you know when he shows up he but we're back but what was he thinking when all of a sudden this big grown dude was like hey jesus here's food here's food hey young man what's your name my name is don't share food like what was he thinking But we don't see him fighting. We don't see, and when they ran the boy down, we don't see that in text. We see this boy willingly give. And it's easy because we see the big picture. Easy, easily, because we're like, wow, look, he fed all these people. But I want us to look at the boy. It didn't say, so they took a couple of loaves and one of his fish. What does it say? It said they took it all. This boy? He gave all he had he gave everything he didn't say well just give me enough to get me through the rest of the day and you can have the rest no when we see this boy and he have this we see him give everything he gave everything and while we look at it on a grand scale and be like yeah but it wasn't that much i want us to see what god can do with what we give when we see this little boy give everything, it's probably and it's kind of a throwback to luke twenty one when Jesus had his disciples in the temple, and, and people were given their their offerings and they were given their tithes, and they were ringing the bell with all of their wealth as and riches, and then there was this this widow that walked up and put two mites in, and Jesus said, "You see that? She gave more than everybody else. Why? Because she gave everything because she gave everything. You know?" We're in this beautiful facility today. We're with this family called church because people have given. We celebrated 50 years. I'm talking about it a lot because I'm not done celebrating it. We celebrated 50 years. And you know why we celebrated 50 years? Because there was a small group of people that gave commitment. They gave dedication. They gave time and energy. And yes, they gave financially. They gave and it wasn't so they could have this nice, man, we want this big, huge building all to ourselves. No, they gave because they know one day people will be in this area and they need to have a place to go and hear the name of Jesus proclaimed. If we look back on it now, and you actually can in the history books and you can go pull up uh, the past minutes for the business meetings, you can go back and see the yearly giving. You can look at that and be like, man, we didn't have no money. <laughs> but look around. And I'll show you what God can do when we give. There's evidence all throughout our history of what happens when we give God what we can. And it's easy for us to sit back and, and we start getting worried. You know, we get, we, we get so protected, we get so selfish, and you know, we start worried about, well, what's, what's going to happen to me? You know, if, if, I give, if I give my time to VBS this year, man, what's going to happen? I don't know if I'm going to have time to do all that other stuff that week. Well, I know oftentimes we we reference tithing, and we're going to be talking about that more over the next several weeks. And some people put that wall up and be like, don't be telling me how to do with my money. I'm not. I'm just telling you what God's commanding us to do with our money. Uh, But we get this idea of like, but if I give this amount, man, how am I going to get through the rest? We get so worried about how we are in control of everything. Can I just remind you that God took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 men and their families? Can I just remind you that it doesn't matter what you give, as long as you give obediently, God can do great, unimaginable things with it. We were talking this week, if you got $100 and you tithed $100, y'all know what grand amount that would be? 10. We have some mathematicians in the audience today. A tenth of $100 is 10 bucks. Based on my life experience, God can do more with that 10 bucks than I can do with that 90, promise you. When we give, and again, I'm talking in the context of finances, but I want us to think bigger. When we give our dedication, when we give our commitment, when we give unto the Lord, what can he do with what we give? Are we going to put limits on that? Are we going to tell God what he can or can't do? Are we going to be so consumed with worry over ourselves, but what's going to happen to me? Matthew 10, 29 through 31 Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than the sparrows. God's basically reminding us, as Jesus was teaching this in the book of Matthew, don't worry. If I'm going to care enough about little sparrows that nobody even cares when they live or die, I've got you. Trust me. Maybe that's the, the obstacle we can't overcome, but... I want us to see first in this text what God can do with what we give. The second thing I want us to see is how others benefit when we give. We're celebrating Memorial Day. We had a beautiful video. We get to sing and proclaim our our, our country. I love Mr. Mr. Ron. I don't know where Mr. Ron went. Wearing his big American flag shirt. I looked on the screen and there was the American flag front and center with Mr. Ron. I love it. And we get to, we are beneficiaries of those who gave, and not just talking about our contemporaries. But if you go all the way back to the 1700s, when this country was just getting started, we're beneficiaries of those veterans who laid it all down, who believed in a cause and sacrificed greatly. Nobody was around then. We go back to World War I. And some of you, you have parents or grandparents that were a part of that. And some of your parents or grandparents are the ones we're honoring in Memorial Day. They gave. And we, a hundred years later, are still benefiting from what they gave. World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War. We talk about all the conflicts that men and women have given the ultimate sacrifice to preserve our freedom. And we are still benefiting from it. When we give unto the Lord to see what God can do with what we give, look at how others benefit when we do give. In this text, you see here how many people come walking up. It said 5,000 men were there that day. That's just the men. It doesn't count their families. It doesn't count their spouses or their children. David and I were talking about it, and David said, man, it could be upwards towards 25,000 people could have been here that day. That is a ton of people to feed. You know who the best person I know to feed a massive group of people is? Say it. Glenda. You better believe it, Ms. Glenda. Ms. Glenda, we roll up 25,000 people in here. You got it? <laughs> she definitely got it. Doesn't hesitate. But that's a massive group of people. If there was no plan, if there was no tables set up, if we didn't get all the tables and chairs got right in the right spot, how are we going to feed all these people? Look at how others benefit when we give. I would love to know, in the the conversations of those 5,000 men and their families, how many of those people actually sat back and said, huh, I wonder who's paying for all this wonderful fish sandwiches that we're getting today. I wonder how many people went to Jesus afterward and said, hey, who do I need to thank for that meal? It was so good. I wonder how many of those 5,000 men and their families knew anything about that little boy. See, the little boy didn't give to be put on a pedestal. He gave because Jesus could use it. That was his mindset. He gave. Because he knew Jesus could use it. And three things about how there's benefit when we give. Look down in verse 11. Look at how it says there. And distributed to those who were seated. As much as they wanted. You know God's abundance is never limited. God's abundance is never limited. You had an untold amount of people here, and they got as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. All right. I'm not I'm going I'm to look at anybody because people think you were preaching at me. I'm looking at the floor. How many of y'all ever ate at a buffet? I'm not looking at nobody because people think, you were looking at me when you said that. Nope. Black shoes. How many of you ate at a buffet, huh? Some of you, there might be evidence. Just remember that gluttony is a sin as well. But when you go to a buffet, you go to the buffet for one reason. So you can get as much as you want. The only person that says you can't eat no more at a buffet is you or your spouse. But when you go, that's why you go to a buffet, because you don't want to be limited. You, man, I was having a conversation this week. Uh, we were talking about different restaurants. We were trying to get Drake and Caleb, you know, just get them well-educated in the fine culinary arts of Decatur. And uh, there were some names of restaurants that came up and I heard myself say, hey, that place is really good, but you're not going to get full. Hey, you can eat there, but you're going to leave hungry because we don't want to go somewhere where we're going to be. We want to go until we're full. And look at what happens. God's abundance is never limited. They had as much as they wanted. And then he did the same with the fish. God's abundance is never limited. When we give and we give sacrificially, when we give in obedience to what God wants to do and trust him to do great things, there is no limitations on what God wants to do with it. None. And guess what? There is no spouse or authority figure that shows up to God and says, Hey, God, that's enough. No, God says, I'm not done yet because they're not full. So I'm going to keep going. Look in verse 12. Look in verse 12. First phrase, when they had all, when they had all had enough to eat. Not only is God's abundance never limited, God's abundance fully satisfies. It's not limited in the sense that everybody got two and got to go home. It wasn't the student ministry of rule. The first time through the line, you only get two slices of pizza. You know what I'm saying? It was they had as much as they want. And then we see in verse 12, when they had all had enough, because God's abundance, not only is it never limited, it fully satisfies us. When we trust and we lean on what God is going to bring and the abundance that he provides in and through our lives, we will always be satisfied with it. Even when we're sitting there worried about, well, what am I going to do if I, de-? trust me, you will be satisfied with what God is going to do when we trust him and we become those who gave. Look at verse 13. What happens in verse 13? Jesus said, gather the pieces. So they gathered them all and filled 12 baskets. They filled 12 baskets. And this is what's beautiful. God, not only is God's abundance never limited, not only does God's abundance fully satisfy, but God's abundance still outgives the need. Still outgives what we can handle is still God's abundance on display. I can't help but think this is not Biblical. Side note, not biblical. I'm about to say something that you will not find in Scripture. This is just something I personally hope for in my life. I personally hope for uh, that immediately after this story took place, before Jesus retreated to a mountain, that he was kind of saying his goodbyes. I really hope Jesus looked at Andrew and Philip and said, Hey, boys, why don't you grab two of those baskets and follow that little boy home? Make sure his family gets what they needed. I really hope that happened. I just think that would be so cool. It's like, hey, you gave five and two, you get to take home 12 baskets, son. That's what I call a pretty good drive-through, you know? That's amazing. But look, when God gives, he still outgives. His abundance outgives the need. There's always not only enough, there's always more than enough. And not only do we sit back and look at how others benefit when we give, this story happened over 2,000 years ago. And guess what? We're still talking about it because we're still benefiting from the example that Jesus set and showed us in his abundant love and mercy 2,000 years ago. We're still benefiting from it. But the third thing I want us to see I want us to see first what, what God can do with what we give. I want us to see second how others benefit when we give. But third, I want us to see what God intends for us to receive when we give. What God intends for us to receive when we give. And it it goes back to the example that he set in verse 11. This is called faithfulness, church. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks. He gave thanks. He gave thanks before he distributed the blessing to the people. He gave thanks for five barley loaves and two fish before it fed everyone. He gave thanks before God's glory was on display. He thanked God because he trusted and knew what God was about to do. You don't believe me? Look in verse 6. He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He knew what was going to happen. He trusted the Father to do it. And he gave thanks before the blessing was distributed. Let me ask you a question, church. When we give, when you give, when I give, whether it's in, in, in service and in passion and dedication and commitment and finances, when we give our tithes, when we give, Do we trust and give thanks to God before we write that check, before we sign our name up, before we commit? Do we give thanks to God before him because we already trust what he's going to do with the abundance of the blessing he's going to use us to be a part of? When we give, is our heart so much in the right place that we're already praising God for what he's going to do with it, trusting him fully? See, Jesus didn't distribute the food and say, okay, everybody bow your head. No, Jesus started by giving thanks. God, thank you for what's about to happen because I know what we're going to receive. Jesus said, basically, in doing this, Jesus was here to reveal and reflect the glory of the Father. And Jesus knew that in doing this, that the glory of God would be on display by his service. You ever prayed for that? You ever hold your offering in your hand and say, God thank you for what you're going to do through this offering plate you ever stand at the at the booth out here to sign your name up for for an event or to serve or to help and say god thank you so much for how you're going to use me for your glory to be on display as i serve you in this role Do we pull up onto this campus thinking, God, thank you for how you're going to use me on this campus this Sunday morning to encourage the people that I get to be around in my Sunday school class and in my the freedom I have to worship with my church family. Thank you for how you're going to use me to put your glory on display in my life. God, I hope that one other person shows up with that mentality so I can see the glory on display in their life. Do we give in that way? Do we see what God intends for us to receive before we give. You know, sometimes, though, we still misplace the purpose. Sometimes we still get it wrong. Sometimes I get it wrong. These people are no different. Verse 14 and 15, after they saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet. Jesus was the Messiah the one the entire Old Testament, the Old Covenant had been talking about. This was it, and they still missed it. They're just, they still think he's this, this prophet. And then what do they do? Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. You know, I, I think their intentions might have been in the right place. But their short-sightedness, they missed the bigger picture that day. Because, see, they wanted to make him king by force, but the only crown that Jesus was seeking was the, only, was the crown that only his father could give. I get misplaced sometimes. I get my head uh, in the right I go too far. I overanalyze and I miss the point oftentimes of how God wants to use me and how I gave or how I give. Sometimes I get this whole mentality of, well, God, I did this for you. What's he going to do for me? This isn't a game of leverage that he's talking about here. This is a game of trust and faith that we see God on display for his glory to be made known. He was only here to bring glory to the Father. Today, when we stop and remember tomorrow, when we stop and remember those who gave... What do we think about? Today, when you stop and think about God, what did He give? When we think about Jesus, what was that sacrifice for? And it's easy for us to give the Sunday school answer of, well, "He died on the cross for our sins, but what does that mean to you? I already told you, I've never served in the military. And unless something radically changes, I will never be a candidate to give my life in service to our country. But God calls me every day to give something far greater for his glory and his kingdom. For those of you who are in Christ, God's calling you to do the same thing. What will you give? What will you give in faith? What will you give in passion? What will you give in dedication and commitment? What will you give in obedience to what God has blessed you in terms of your tithe? What will you give simply for the fact of letting the glory of God be on display through what you give? That one day, somebody will follow far beyond your footsteps. And they might not know your name, but they're thankful for you when they remember those who gave. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your promise. I thank you so much for a a boy who was willing to give it all. I thank you so much for giving us the knowledge that we have through your word that we see that it was before our country was even founded that people gave so that we Could know. God, this morning, while we continue to reflect on a Memorial Day weekend, Father, there's something a whole lot more personal for us today, and that is your presence. God, maybe today when we start considering what we have given, what we gave to you for your glory, maybe it's not something that we enjoy looking at. But Father, today, you are reminding us of your faithfulness to us. Because in all all of this story, the only person that we can really look back and marvel at is you. So Father, today, find us where we are. God, if we've just grown content in being quote-unquote church members, but not doing anything to serve your kingdom, Father, awaken our hearts to the call that we're not done yet. And there's a way you can use us in this church and in this world for your glory. God, if we are too stingy, God, because we're trusting in, in what we know with, with what we have, God, the things you've given us time, health, finances now teach us how to trust you in that. Call us to it, Father. Father, today as we move forward, as we enter into a time of invitation, may we respond by giving to you. Father God, today there may be somebody here that doesn't know that the greatest thing they could give to you is their life, God. The life that you you have created, the life that you have called, the way you love them, Father that they realize what you have given up, that Jesus didn't just come and feed everybody, but just a short time later that he gave his life on a cross for the cost of our sins. God, so that we might have the privilege of choosing to accept his sacrifice in our place. God, if there's anybody here today that's struggling with that truth, do we make them aware of your presence, God. Maybe even lead them down the aisle. I'd love to talk to them about it, God, but they don't leave this building until they have that conversation with someone here. God, whatever it is you're calling us to give, to give in obedience, to give selflessly, to give sacrificially, to give for your glory and your kingdom, God, continue to mold and shape our hearts to desire to do that for ourselves and for your glory. God, whatever it is you're calling us to give, even now, Father, I pray that as we respond, we would respond in obedience. For your name's sake. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to-